cigarette is food, you see. Now that may be a baffling concept to people in San Francisco who, who have this theory that they will live forever if they stamp out to tobacco smoke. I find this a little bit difficult to deal with, but I live my life eating these things and drinking this black water in this cup here, okay? Well, Mark, here we are going to do something special for you. We're going to do something nice tonight. We're going to talk about the Roxy, uh, not only the Roxy album, but the band, uh, which uh, the the Roxy band, which takes a couple of uh, different shapes over about uh, a a year and a half. And um, why don't you explain how we're going to. Uh, how you you came up with a good idea of, of how to separate this band's uh, eras. Okay, so how we, we, we're going to plot this out, our foundation is going to be based around the lineup starting in the summer of 73 and moving through to the uh, December of 74, which starts with um, just Ralph Humphrey on drums, then culminates with Ralph and Chester on drums, Chester Thompson, and then ends with just Chester Thompson on drums. So we'll talk about all those lineups, how they started uh, and then came together to create Roxy and Elsewhere and then drifted off into the sunset to create further albums after that. Okay, so let's go back. Uh, Before we get into the track-by-track listing and who's on Roxy and Elsewhere, let's start at the beginning when the concept of of the band in question started, which let's take it back to 73, the summer of 73, the the June-July lineup, if you will. A lot of people call that band the Jean-Luc Ponty band. We're going to go back to early 73, but that's really not, uh, that band doesn't have the flavor of what became the Roxy band. So we're going to start it. And I think they, um, they were in Europe. I think, uh, well, actually they do a stint in, uh, if I can remember correctly, they do a stint in Australia in June and then go around and and they hit uh, some other countries in Europe. Yeah, they do. They do what's called a Pacific tour which, you know, in June and July of 73 is Australia. Then they they head over to Europe for, for August and September, which is their European tour, which is Denmark, you know, Stockholm, Sweden, uh, Norway, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, etc. And that ends in the, uh, the UK. Correct. 73, 74, they start their North American tour, which starts in uh, Austin, Texas. Let me tell you who's in the band, who's in that original lineup. Uh, so it's Frank Zappa. John 
Luke Ponte. Underwood. July after their Australian tour basically and they go to Europe there's our lineup our starting lineup for what will be known what will soon become the Roxy and Elsewhere band so this is where it started and 
Why don't you take it from here, Mike? Well, I think we can um, maybe break it down composition by composition. Maybe you can look at a set list yep. and we can talk about things. Uh, because a lot of songs started to be developed around seventy, the early 73. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did some studio stuff where early versions, a very early version of Inca Roads was recorded. Very early version of Redunzel was recorded. Then uh, Inca Rhodes took another another turn and actually was vocalized by Sal Marquez, and which of course later on we you know became George Duke, which they which it was originally the swank version, and then eventually became the, you know a lot of these songs eventually became the versions that we know. So I would say um, maybe take a set list and and we could break it down from there. Just to give everyone a, an idea, you had the Mothers of Invention. Frank disbanded that and got, I like to call it the 200 Motels, you know, Hot Rats band, and then disbanded that. Well, I, he didn't disband it. They left, right? Certain members left to do other things, and then he started this new band, correct? Is that kind of how it went down? Well, there's, you missed a little in between with the uh, with the Wazoo bands. Yeah, the, so the 200 Motels... Hot Rats band is like Wazoo, you know, that's the Ainsley Dunbar, Jeff Simmons for a minute, and et cetera, right? Is that correct? Yeah. But then after that is um, when he, you know, uh, when he started healing, because don't forget, he spent uh, the majority of 1972 in the wheelchair, uh, even up to the point when they were performing, with, you know, with the uh, Wazoo and the Petite Wazoo. And so 73 comes around, and, and uh, it almost seems as if, because now he was mobile again and, and, and very, very healthy, 
uh, that's when he started to do, he started to form these uh, bands again, these touring units, uh, rock and roll, more rock and roll oriented than the than the big band stuff. So yeah. So let's say from the so let's look at it this way the the Wazoo band let's who was left over from the Wazoo band we had Ruth Underwood Ian Underwood George and George Duke was Bruce Fowler in the Wazoo band yes so the Bruce Fowler Tom Fowler and and Frank right um yeah that's about it so he yeah. added Ralph Humphrey and Jean Luc. Right, that's okay. exactly, yep. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, good. So there's our foundation, there's our beginning. As far as I know, uh, Ralph Humphrey had just gotten off of the um, Don Ellis band. Correct. So, okay. And, and and he was on that band with George Duke. So George Duke and, and Ralph Humphrey were in the Don Ellis band. George Duke gets the gig with Frank. He brings in Ralph Humphrey. Uh, just for, for listeners that may or may not know... Um, before the Wazoo band, Frank was on stage performing and got pushed off the stage. Um, and what did he do? Break a leg or broke an arm? And he, he actually was pushed into the pit, the orchestra pit. And according to Ainsley Dunbar, was like mere inches away from like breaking his neck. His, his head could have hit the edge of the orchestra pit stage. So anyways, he falls off and it's, he gets injured. And he comes back with Wazoo, correct? And does the Wazoo thing uh, material, and then we have where we're at. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Yep. So we're now we're in we're in '73. Frank's feeling good. He's healthy. He puts this new band together, which has some of the old members from the uh, Wazoo days, and he starts moving forward. And he does this '73 tour, which started in North America, and then you know goes through all of North America and then brings us, you know, June, July to Australia. Okay. Well, I think it might be best to take a set list and, and look at some of those songs. You have set lists in front of you? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, we can talk about some of those tunes because a lot of them are important to what would actually became released later. Okay. So looking at the Australia tour, the first tour, uh, the first show was, uh, 0621 of 73 at the Festival Hall in Brisbane, Australia. And the set list started with, um, they did their sound check, they did Dog Meat, 5050, Montana, Improvisations, Dupree's Paradise, Cosmic Debris, Yellow Snow Suite, Farther Oblivion, Inca Roads, Redunzel, Mr. Green Jeans, King Kong, Chunga's Revenge, and Mr. Green Jeans again. And before you say anything, Mike, I do have a question. What was the touring album at this point? What had just been released? Interestingly enough, uh, those albums, Apostrophe and Overnight Sensation, were not released yet. So the last thing people got was the Grand Wazoo album. Okay. And so Frank comes, you know, on the road with all this brand new material that had been recorded, just not released, because Yellow Snow and all that stuff from Overnight was recorded basically at uh, Bollock Studios in March, and then some other stuff over the summer. March of seventy three. March of seventy three. Yeah, they were in Bollock Studios where they recorded, you know, all those famous things, Montana and all that stuff. Okay, great. And you know, there was no direction for any single album, but. Um, the uh, Overnight Sensation album, uh, best, you know, that's that's an album. 
of a band. But Apostrophe, of course, used that same band, and then he threw a bunch of stuff on Apostrophe is, that goes back as far as 1969, put overdubs on it, and there's a whole bunch of different musicians on, on that album. But nonetheless, okay. the material that was on both of those albums, he was now performing, <laughs> but in completely different arrangements and, and, right. and different versions before people even heard the originals. So that's what's funny about it, yeah. And so... Just to give you, uh, just to sum up, sum that up, that set list was a basic set list for most of the Australian shows. He did add a few other tunes here and there, like Chunga's Revenge, uh, Bebop Tango, um, etc. But that was your basic, you know, set list for most of uh, King Kong as well for most of your for most of the Australian tour. Yes, that is correct. There was a limited set list, but you know the tunes were long and there was long improvisations and. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a huge set list. Right. In uh, interestingly enough, in Melbourne on 0628, uh, the set list included um, "Holiday in Berlin," "Sleep Dirt," and "Echidna's Arf." So I'm thinking that 1973 0628 is the first time they did "Echidna's Arf." Wow. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I. <laughs> I didn't realize that that the yeah I have those recordings I just I haven't been I haven't gotten around to listening to them yet but I didn't know they did those tunes. Yeah, that was not part of their regular repertoire right. at the time. Right. I mean, right. I think at one point they even did the Mud Shark, but that was yep. just a, an impromptu night. thing. Yeah. <laughs> the next night they did the Mud Shark. Out! Oh, you go out! Everybody! So far out! Do the Mud Shark! Do the Mud Shark, baby! Out! Out! You go out! You go out! But then uh, everything's basically that's that base that they had a big Swifty. Um, but other than then everything we've said, Zombie Wolf as well was added at the, near the end of the Australian tour. Mm-hmm. So that's basically it. Um, they, they that's basically the set. I'd like to talk about those tunes. So we start with Dog Meat. <laughs>
obviously from Meat, Uncle Meat. So does that have any effect on Roxy? Um, it has an effect on the Roxy video. Uh, don't they? No, it has uh, an effect on Roxy by Proxy, which is right, right. the album that came out just recently with more material from the Roxy uh, concerts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50-50? Well, 50-50 was recorded and released on Overnight Sensation, but it wasn't released yet, and this was just a an instrumental version of that. Um, that's the one that uh, Lancelotti uh, sings. Well, my dandruff is loose, and my breath is chartreuse. I know I ain't cute, and my voice is caproot, but that's all right, people. I'm just crazy enough to sing to you. on, on uh, Overnight Sensation, but uh, this is just instrumental. And and did not relate to... Uh, it It wasn't performed at the uh, at the Roxy concerts. Right. Montana. Yeah, Montana basically performed as it always has been and always will be performed and uh, did appear a lot in the set lists at the Roxy. Where did it come from? Overnight Sensation. Which hadn't been released yet. Interesting. Overnight was released in September of 73, and I think Apostrophe was released in March of 74. So the public still had yet to even hear those albums. And they're as we said before, they're already performing the songs differently. So the, Okay. So by the Australian tour, the, month, the, the album was two months, three months away from being released. I get it. Okay. Exactly. Yep. All right. Dupree's Paradise. Warm yourself up out there. You can clap your hands together. Just clapping together on the backbeat, just like they do at all the big rock and roll concerts. Quite a bit of natural rhythm here tonight. I see some of you are clapping on the first beat, some of you are clapping on the second and fourth beat. Some of you are clapping on the end of one and the third beat of a quintuplet that begins on the fourth beat of the bar. Let's just get a groove going. As far as I know, Dupree's Paradise was uh, written during that tour. It's the first time we hear any of that. And uh, does not... Oh no, it's performed at the Roxy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's performed at <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's uh basically just the the simple head. Yeah. 
then uh, became a, a long 20, 25 minute uh, Im- improvisation, you know, thing where they would uh, eventually, by the time 74 came around, it became the time during the show where they would just uh, talk about recent events and things that happened to people in the band the night before. There was a bass player playing. What was he doing? It sounded funny to me, though. This fool playing at 8 o'clock in the morning. I was trying to sleep, and this fool next door playing his thing. And all night long, Rufus was talking about, <laughs> I can't get no sleep at all. And the ladies coming out in the hall talking about, shut that tape cut off. You know it's true. Ricky, don't lose that number. You don't want to lose that number, Ricky. But um, on that tour with John Luke Ponte, it was just a, a one large solo. You know, it's a lot, everybody got the solo on it. Okay. I'm looking through the set lists of that whole tour dating back. I'm trying to see when the first time they performed Dupree's Paradise was. Do you know that offhand? I do not, no. I think it was that tour, though, with uh, which, when John Luke came into the band, I think that's when they started performing it. Yeah, it says, from unless it was performed before this tour, the tour started in February of 73, uh, and it was performed at the Cameron Stadium, Duke University, Durham, North Carolina, 1973-02-24. is the first time I see it, but it could have been before that. Okay. Well, that's the first date of the year. As far as I know, so that's probably the first time it was ever played. Okay. Um, so continuing, continuing with the Australian tour, uh, Cosmic Debris. Same arrangement as the album, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah, performed at the Roxy performances as well. Uh, Yellow Snow Sweet. Dreamed I was an Eskimo. Frozen wind began to blow. Under my boots and around my toes. That bit the ground below was a hundred degrees below zero. And my mama cried. And my mama cried. Yeah, this gets really, really yeah. weird. I mean, yeah. I it's it, it, it's like a it it's very um, uh, it boggles my mind. I'm really not sure what happened when, but I know that when they recorded apostrophe, 
They recorded uh, the, the Yellow Snow Suite, which, by the way, let me explain that. The Yellow Snow Suite is known uh, as such by Zappa fans, but the way Frank labels it on the records is Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, then the next song is Nanook Rubs It, and then the next song is St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast, and then it finishes with um, Father Oblivion, not Farther Oblivion. Don't be confused, Father Oblivion. But, okay, uh, we call it the Yellow Snow Suite, and that's those four things put together. Later on, uh, in 1979, he adds Rollo uh, to the end of that suite, so it's now five pieces. But uh, back in 73, it was those four things in succession. Okay, now the Yellow Snow Suite was recorded first in the summer of 73 in a certain way. <clears throat> Wait a minute. Can I just intervene here for a second? Sure thing. Something's not making sense. You said Rollo was added in 79? He recorded it. Didn't he perform it, I mean, with the orchestra, with Wazoo back in 72, 71? Yes, but that was not part of the Yellow Snow Suite. It was something. It was its own thing? Well, yeah, there was actually a song called Rollo, which was a song about a dog, and it was kind of a bouncy, shuffly thing. And then. Midway through the piece, it turned. It goes into that instrumental thing that we all know. In three, right? Okay, and mm-hmm. that was that whole thing was called Rollo, and then that then when later on it was performed. Uh, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, Saint Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast has what's known as Rollo Interior, which is that uh, theme sped way up. <laughs> No, Rollo didn't become part of the Yellow Snow Suite until the uh, 78 band, I think, maybe. I know definitely 79, but I think the 78 band started performing it as well. St. Alfonso really loves it when he rubs it for him. So it was recorded um, for the Apostrophe album in the summer of 73, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming we all know how that one goes. But then when they get to the tour, uh, especially on the uh, Australian tour, because that's the part that I know pretty well, there's several different ways this whole suite is performed. And it's even uh, the, the, the beginning is sped up. <laughs> I was an Eskimo. 
across that bit of ground below With a hundred degrees below zero And my mama cried Nanu, 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 Nanook, no, no Save your money, don't go to the show And I turned around and I said, ho, ho And the northern lights commenced to glow And she looked at me with a tear in her eye and she said Watch out where the huskies go and don't you eat that yellow snow Watch out where the huskies go and don't you eat that yellow snow There's parts where they, um, uh, they well, there's lots of quotes from, uh, what's that song called? The Midnight Sun? Yep. Only now they're all over the place and it's really weird. And then they get to the part in the middle of St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast where they break it down and um, Frank talks through uh, the margarine, M-A-R hyphen J-U-H hyphen R-E-N-E. And and it's really different, really different. Well, here we have a deflected fur trapper, folks. Wandering around in the middle of the desolate northern wasteland can't tell where he's going and he wants to get home in time to watch something good on TV well he doesn't know it because he's got a lot of time but he maybe there's something that he likes he has to fix up his eyes before he can watch the television so scratches underneath of his parka tries to figure out what he's going to do and remembers an ancient Eskimo legend where it is it is written on the little things that they write it on, whatever they are, that if anything bad ever happens to your eyes as the result of physical combat with anybody named Nanook, and if, therefore, he rubs some dog food crystals in your eye and you have problems, it actually says this, folks, that the only way that you can fix it up is you gotta go trudging across the tundra, mile after mile, all the way down to the Columbia River Delta. And then, when they get to the Roxy stuff in December, you know that that touring unit, they don't perform any of it at all. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that band uh, that band had. Uh, um, I think there was actually yeah, you said that Sal Marquez was there because he's on a couple of the recordings that I have, and yeah. then of course there's a. Uh, one that's released on the album called One Shot Deal. And I also have a couple of bootlegs of it. And it's there's like five different ways that they performed that that piece of music. And it was uh, only recorded in the studio about five months earlier. And so. Yeah, completely changed it. Okay. After that, we've got Inca Roads. <laughs> As far as I know, Acre Road started off uh, in 70, early 73, and there's that recording that ended up on the Lost Episodes, and that's the instrumental version, and it's very, very, uh, how should we put, it's very generic. It's just the melody, a few solos, and out. It didn't get developed until they went on the road, and that whole 
um, melody was stretched out and sung in, in, a, ver- in a style which Frank uh, called swank. We'll do the swank version of it, he says, to uh, Sal Marquez. And Sal Marquez uh, then sings the melody. Did a vehicle come from somewhere out there Just to land in the Andes Was it round and did it have a motor Or was it something different Did a vehicle, did a vehicle, did a vehicle fly along the mountains and find a place to park itself? Or did someone build a place to leave a space for such a later on would be sung by George Duke. Take it away, George. That's right, honey. Simply atmospheric introduction. Did a vehicle Come from somewhere out there Just to land in the Andes Was it round? And did it have a motor? Or was it something different? We don't get the uh, proper version of Inca Roads until at least a year or so later. But when they uh, play at the Roxy, they perform the Inca Roads in that swank version still, only that, you know, Sal's gone, and now it's George singing it. And Inca Roads on that tour was first played on the first date of the North American tour, 0224. And interestingly enough, once they get to Australia they start throwing in musical quotes into the song Inca Roads each time they do it. So, for instance, on the first leg of the Australian tour, uh, they, they throw in, they quote, Fly Me to the Moon. The next night, they quote, I left my heart in San Francisco. And the next night, they quote, I want to be around. Next is um, Redunzel. <laughs> Okay, Redunzel, uh, I know, started in the in early '73. I know that. Uh, well, first, first of all, Mike, be the big, be the big man on campus <laughs> and tell us, enlighten us as to what Redunzel means. What does that? What does it stand? Well, I don't. I, as far as I know, only one person has ever attempted to explain what that means. And it's uh, he took a look at his the gear shift of his car one day. And it, it said uh, reverse drive 
one, two, three, or something like that, or neutral. Neutral reverse drive, neutral two one. Yeah. So, I, and I think that might be uh, that might be accurate. I'm not really sure, and we'll never know unless somebody you know unless Dweezil knows. But yeah, that's what I think it means. And of course, when Frank said the word redunzel, redunzel, um, the the uh, the jerks from Warner Brothers when they put out the uh, three cartoon cover albums um, when they weren't supposed to, they wrote R E D U N Z E L Redunzel. They spelled it out, but anyway, it's R D N Z L, and I th- I think it refers to the gearbox on a, a stick shift car. I'm not really sure, probably, but yeah. Well, Redunzel started off as just another instrumental um, like Inca Roads and. Uh, Kung Fu. I think they were all recorded around the same time in March of 73 and uh, later progressed into the arrangement that we know. And basically, by the time the Roxy album came out, uh, it was almost the way it was going to be forever. You know, the, uh, the, the, as we, what we call the definitive version was almost there. Now, did they perform Redunzel uh, over the summer? Uh, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. Redunzel ended up on two different albums. First, it was the, um, Studio Tan album and then the, uh, the Lather album, the one that Frank played over the radio for people to record. That was the, the, yeah. And that was actually recorded, uh, in December of 74 at the Caribou Studios in, uh, Colorado. So after they had performed Redunzel for a couple of months, then they recorded the definitive version. Ah. Okay. Sorry. Mr. Green Jeans. Yep. That's next. Often they record, they played that one as part of a set. Uh, it was often coupled with King Kong, or sometimes it was coupled with uh, Chunga's Revenge, and they would they would play you know those three songs, you know, in different orders. But I think those were pretty much linked up. Those three songs were often linked up. Yeah, Mr. Green Jeans, King Kong, Chunga's Revenge, Mr. Green Jeans. You're absolutely mm. right. And um, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, they also did that on the uh, on you know by the time Roxy came around, they did that as well. And as a matter of fact, on the album, Frank says, "All right, we're gonna play King Kong for you." It's also hooked up to Chunga's Revenge and the ending of Mr. Green Jeans, so a little cheapo medley. Cheap way f- to uh, perform an, an encore. Uh, another song that was <clears throat> not on the first uh, set list, but was added on was uh, Bebop Tang.
was performed uh, the next night as part of an audience participation. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I do want to talk about it, that because it came out of it came out of it came out of farther oblivion. By oh, me. okay, yeah, sure. Then that's yeah. For a minute there, I thought you said it was performed on its own, but it didn't no, stand no, no, no. alone. It's part of right. It did not stand alone. Correct until the fall, and and then culminating on the uh, the definitive version on Roxy. Yeah, um, actually, farther now, not father anymore, but farther oblivion consisted of uh, three parts basically. The beginning, which was a little 3-4 shuffle kind of a thing. Most of that stuff ended up being in Gregory Peckery, uh, which was released a few years later. And then... But recorded, but recorded when? Uh, mostly recorded in December of 74 and January of 75. Those two months were the recording uh, sessions for, for that big piece. And we, uh, if you want to go back to the Everything Zappa podcast, I believe number two. Yes. We, we do an extensive ana- analysis of Gregory Peckery. Right, okay, right, right. On. So the beginning of that, uh, a lot of the beginning went into uh, Gregory Peckery. Then it slides into what became the Bebop Tango. time frank just referred to it as the tango uh but actually the original name of the piece from a few years before that was called the malcolm mcnab which is uh mm-hmm. I, we talked about this and before he is yeah. a tremendous just, trumpet player okay he is a tremendous trumpet player that frank knew uh going as far back as 1963 and the saint mary's recordings uh the saint mary college um, recording yeah. that he did back in, in 63 in California. And so he wrote this little piece for Malcolm. It's a very challenging piece, which uh, eventually became Bebop Tango, but was at that time the be- uh, the middle section to Farther Oblivion. Then it would often or almost always go into a long drum solo and uh, by uh, Ralph Humphrey. And then they would finish with uh, an, a little instrumental coda.
which eventually became the song called Kukamanga, which was released on Bongo Fury. That was recorded in December of 74. And one of the last few sessions that uh, Chester Thompson was a part of. And that's that's the father of oblivion. There was one or two now. There was one or two occasions where he would play, the band would play the suite, Father Oblivion, but would open it with a short little thing uh, called Join the March, and Frank would count it off like this. Join the March and eat my starch. And then and that would eventually go into um, the proper beginning for Father Oblivion. Okay, so Holiday in Berlin, Sleep Dirt, and Echidnazarf were all quoted out of Father Oblivion. Oh, they were shows. they were quoted. Okay, yes. I, th- so yes. that's a difference between um, you know an arrangement, but Frank or somebody quoting those things. Okay, that's very interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, check that and out. And another another song was Mud Shark. Yeah, that was yeah, that was just a no, that was just one a one shot deal, an impromptu yeah. thing, uh, because people were shouting for it and Frank didn't even remember how it went on the record because, you know, <laughs> it was just basically made up then too, back from the uh um the Fillmore East days. And yeah, that's all that was. Okay, finally, Zombie Wolf. I don't know anything about Zombie Wolf because I haven't heard a, I haven't heard it, but I imagine. Okay, it was... so yeah, on the Hort at the Horton Pavilion in Sydney, Australia, which was the last date of the Australian tour, they performed Zombie Wolf. Okay, I gotta check that out too. They do. Don't you ever watch that thing, Zombie Wolf? I actually have this. Uh, improvisation to Priest Paradise, Road Ladies, Inca Roads, Cosmic Debris, Farther Oblivion, Mr. Green Jeans, King Kong, Chung's Revenge, Mr. Green Jeans, which is the medley that you talked about. All right, so now we're leaving Australia. We're heading over to Europe. Okay. Um, now, in Denmark, on our first show in Europe, in Denmark, we add Penguin and Bondage. Just like a penguin and bondage, Boeing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Way over on the wet side of the bed. Nerfs for moisture. Just like the mighty penguin flapping the red on wings. The penguin flap. Lord, you know it's all over If she come at you on the strut Wrap all around your head What's the date on that? 08-18 Yeah, that sounds about right Yeah, that's when they started doing that one Um, I don't think there's not much to talk about It's basically performed the same way All the way through the the rest of the tour But, um, of course, the subject matter Involves uh, a penguin whose name I can't remember that the Flo and Eddie band used to, okay, the Flo and Eddie band used to send a, a, a penguin through the, the flaming hoop with toilet paper, and uh, that's all I know about that. 
Okay, another song that was added was Kung Fu. Oh yeah, Kung Fu. Uh, it finally re- it finally was released on um, the Lost episodes, but was a short little number. But it was uh, very very difficult, and so it, it was performed the same way every time. But I don't think that the Roxy and Elsewhere band, the one that we know on the record, did that one. I'm not really sure. I think they stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the Eric Dolphy Memorial Barbecue. Just base, yeah. They, they used to perform that as part of a big medley, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Starts off with Penguin, uh, or some, you know. Sometimes the order changes, but but yeah, Eric Dolphy basically performed almost exactly the way it is off of uh, Weasel's "Rip My Flesh," but um, discontinued, I think, shortly after that. Okay, so now we're on the European tour. On the first date of the European tour, besides the aforementioned songs. Uh, they also started doing a village of the sun. time they performed those three um what i wanted to ask you was who sang it 
Who sang Village? George Duke. He sang it on that tour. Okay. He sang it, and it was also uh, very different than what it became. Yeah. Um, it was very. It was there was a long uh, instrumental intro. And I think there's actually, they do that in, that intro on the Roxy by Proxy album. I'm not sure. Uh, but I know I've heard it okay. somewhere around there uh, it, it, with a very long intro. And it's, it's very different. Now, there's two things I want to just talk about as far as that particular suite is concerned. Those three songs. The first thing is um, The Village. If you, if you go back and you listen to your mystery disc which was originally released with the uh, old Masters box sets back in 1984. Frank re-released all the old Masters in these big, giant boxes. You know, he the first five six, or six albums. Then he would throw in a bonus disc, and uh, it was called the Mystery Disc. And later on, both of those Mystery Discs that came in different boxes were released on one CD. And if you go back and you listen to something, a cut, a track called The Village Inn. You can actually hear some of the characters that Frank is talking about in that song. You can actually hear them. You can hear Little Mary. In the song Village of the Sun. Right. You hear those characters mentioned, but then you can actually hear them talking uh, on The Village Inn. The actual people. Right. Right. You like the band? Huh? I want to hear more than that. Do you like the band? Well, little Mary, we like you. Hey, John, you know what you have been doing that song. Well, ladies and gentlemen, will you start slowly and please, if we can, because we only have about 20 minutes. You know, I thought you were singing before. 20 minutes before closing time. And we appreciate your patronage, and we hope you hurry back. Because each and every weekend, after the war is over, we are going to have many attractions coming into the village inn. So we would like each and every one to cooperation. And have a good time and enjoy yourself. And let's give the band another hand. Tony on drums, Frankie Zappo on guitar, and our own Johnny Franklin on bass. Oh, God. Now, uh, Echidna's Arf, if you, you know, uh, you could talk about that, anything that you, you know that you know that I don't know about that, but I really am interested to hear you talk about your conversation with Ralph Humphrey concerning the evolution of Don't You Ever Watch That Thing. Okay, so I did a Dancing with the Stars um, um, episode where I got to go, I was with an entertainer who was on the show and the band was performing one of his songs. So I got to go and hand out my arrangement of the song of, of, of the song. And Ralph Humphreys, the drummer for that, um, for that particular show and does an, an amazing job. Uh, that's besides the point. Anyways, um, Knowing that I was going to meet Ralph, I brought my transcription of Echidna's Arf 
uh, Village of the Sun. Don't you ever watch that thing? And wanted to show it to him. So as I'm as he's looking through my transcription, he starts looking at Don't you ever watch that thing? And if it, the transcription, the the section, the stop time section that starts the whole piece. <laughs> used to be used to have no breaks it used to be and then they they put some time in between each of those hits and ralph said the way they used to count it was they would play the hit and then just count to five after every hit so they go bump bump one two three four five ba ba da bump one two three four five ba da ba da ba da one two three four five, which I found incredibly interesting. But that song used to not have breaks. Then it had breaks, and went from there. Now, did uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ralph claimed that that was his idea, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was his idea to put the breaks in and, and count mm-hmm. it the way they did, which was was very interesting. But yeah, that's my little Ralph story. Okay. So now we're on the European tour. They've, they've added those uh, particular songs. Um, and I'm trying to see. Oh, so in Stockholm, Sweden, they do Join the March and Eat My Starch, uh, which is which there are bootlegs of videos as well. Um. With the last section of what Cucamonga, right? Played yes. twice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right on that Stockholm one, the the band screws up, so Frank makes them play it again. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then the next night uh, in Norway they do Bebop Tango excerpt. Now this is Bebop Tango as its own thing. It's not being quoted. It's its own little little treat, but mm-hmm. it's only an excerpt. So now we have mm-hmm. it as an excerpt. So it's evolved somewhat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, again, the next night, Bebop Tango excerpt, and they add Brown Shoes Don't Make It. Brown Shoes Don't Make It. Brown Shoes Don't Make It. Good school. Why make it? Brown Shoes Don't Make It. Wow. Anything you want to say about Brown Shoes? Well, other than, you know, we know it came from um, Absolutely Free and was only performed uh, by a few touring units, and the last of which was the 1979 uh, band. Brown shoes, I think I think only three touring units did that, and that was the 1969 band. And that band that you're just talking about now and the 79 band because it's such a such a yeah. you know uh, weird tune <laughs> I guess I really don't know why it was only performed so many times but you know 
Okay, so but what what you see happening now is now we see the foundation being laid for Roxy. And now we have Village of the Sun, Echidna Zarf, Don't You Ever Watch That Thing as a as a suite, albeit it's it's different, but it's 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 evolving. We also have the uh, you know, Dupree's Paradise has come together. We have Penguin in Bondage now that's come together. So it's starting to now we see the you know, the Roxy set list starting to formulate. Yes. Okay. In Belgium, 1973-09-08, they add Twi Tumershi Duin. I don't know ever know how to say that. Tumershi Duin. That's it. Tumershi Duin. Yeah. it was um well let's see diva had not been born yet so it was one of moon's little characters wasn't it i think so yeah yeah somebody she made up yep because mojo Later on, Mojio was actually uh, one of Diva's inventions. It was a little woman that used to live under her pillow that she told Frank about, Mojio. <laughs> okay, uh, now now they head over to the UK and they add Willie the Pimp. To their set list and the idiot bastard son. Idiot bastard son, the father's a Nazi and Congress today. The mother's a hooker somewhere in LA. That's about it for that tour. They leave uh, the UK, band intact, 
0914 uh, of 73, okay? And then the tour's done. At that point, they go back to North America, and the lineup changes. Yes. Now, for the first time, we have Napoleon Murphy Brock is added and Chester Thompson. So the lineup now, back in the States, uh, which is the last North American tour, is called, is got Frank Zappa, Napoleon Murphy Brock, Tom Fowler, George Duke, Ruth Underwood, no Ian Underwood, Bruce Fowler, Ralph Humphrey, and Chester Thompson. So Ian's gone, and a few of the other members, uh, Jean-Luc Ponte's gone. Rumor has it that he slept with Gail. <laughs> that's what I heard. Yeah. And that's why Frank was pissed at him. So now we have the North American tour. I just want to really quickly, Mike, go through more songs that they added because they're important. Yep. So in Austin, Texas, they add Pygmy Twilight. song that they added on the 73 European and Australian tour was Big Swifty. Uh, yeah, Big Swifty actually got its start. Well, it got its it it got its real start uh, when Frank was playing some of the guitar solos on the late 1971 tour, the Flo and Eddie band, and he was just fooling around with the first couple of notes of that song. And if you listen to the December 10th uh, Rainbow Theater in in um, the UK, the, the the concert where Frank gets pushed off the stage. If you listen to the solo on King Kong, which was released on You Can't Do That on Stage Anymore, Volume Three, you can hear him piddling around with those notes. Thank you. 
Um, those are the exact words he used with me when I talked to him about it. I was just piddling around with those notes. And um, so then he was bedridden for a better part of 72. And uh, so he wrote the arrangement for the big band of Big Swifty. And then, of course, stripped it down for the for the rock and roll band. Okay, so the next night, the 11.04, they had I'm the Slime. I'm gross and perverted. I'm obsessed and deranged. I have existed for years, but very little has changed. I'm the tool of the government and industry too for i am destined to rule and regulate you i may be vile and pernicious but you can't look away i make you think i'm delicious with the stuff that i say i am the best you can get have you guessed me yet well i'm the slime oozing out from your tv it. Yeah, well, on the slime, uh, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, oh, they did it. The early show, they performed it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 1973, 1106 in Hempstead, New York, they they for the first time performed "Dicky Such an Asshole." One and one is eleven. Two and two is twenty-two. Won't somebody kind of tell me What the government's trying to do Dickie's just too tricky For a chump like me to you Well, you take that subcommittee serious, boy You might get a seizure from the evening news Well, yeah, yeah They, they performed that uh, at the Armadillo in Austin, Texas on uh, October 26th. The first night they did Dickie, and that was the world premiere. They had Camarillo Brillo. That Camarillo Brillo Flaming out along ahead I mean her Mendocino Bino By where some bugs that made it red And eat that question Massey Hall, Toronto. I've actually played there. Interesting. Yeah. 
All right, so that brings us to Roxy and Elsewhere. Thank you. Brian, I could use a little bit more monitor. Hello, hello. Can you turn up any more than that? Hello, hello. Hey. All right. Okay, folks, here ends part one of our Roxy podcast, everything that has to do leading up to and after, after the Roxy and Elsewhere album from Los Angeles. Mark and I would like to leave you with something. It is a recording that basically can be found on One Shot Deal album, and that's the Yellow Snow Suite from Sydney on June 25th, 1973. And then their last little part of that can be found on volume six of You Can't Do That on Stage Anymore. But there's a little gap in between, so I just cemented it, cemented those two things together uh, with from a bootleg. So here it is in most of its entirety, the Yellow Snow Suite from June 25th, 1973 in Sydney, Australia. Please don't forget to rate us on iTunes and email us with any questions or corrections or concerns or anything that you feel like doing. All right, see you next time. I was an Eskimo Frozen wind began to blow Under my boot And around my toe Frost that bit the ground below With a hundred degrees below zero And my mama cried Nanu, 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 Nanu Nanook, no, no Save your money Don't go to the show and I turned around and I said, ho, ho. And the northern lights commenced to glow. And she looked at me with a tear in her eye and she said, watch out where the huskies go and don't you eat that yellow snow. Watch out where the huskies go and don't you eat that yellow snow. Right about that time, people, a fur trapper who was strictly from commercial. Had the unmitigated audacity to jump up from behind my igloo. And he started in the whipping on my favorite baby seal. With a lead-filled snowshoe I said With a lead-filled With a lead-filled snowshoe Peek-a-boo With a lead-filled With a lead-filled snowshoe And he said peek-a-boo He jumped up from behind my igloo And he said peek-a-boo lead-filled snowshoe Right on you know, that got me just about as evil as an Eskimo boy can be.
I'm evil as an Eskimo boy can be. So I reached down with my patented Nanook of the North whale blubber mitten. And I scooped down and I reached down and I bent down and I gathered up a generous mitten full of the deadly. The deadly yellow snow from right there where the huskies go. And then, in a fit of anger, I pounced. And I pounced again. I jumped up and down on the chest of them. injured the fur trapper. And then I took my mitten with the deadly yellow snow crystals in it and I proceeded to rub it all into his beady little eyes with a vigorous circular motion hitherto unknown to Sydney but destined to take the place of the mud shark in your mythology. Here it is. Hey! Really cheap, isn't it? God damn, that's cheap. That's so cheap, we're gonna do it again. That's enough, okay. Well, by that time, the extract of the northern dog had induced in the fur trapper, a terrible case of temporary snow blindness. And he turned around and he said, I can't see. I can't see. Temporarily. I can't see. I can't see. Temporarily. Oh, what if there's something good on TV? And I can't see. He took a dog, a dog do snow cone and stuffed it in my right eye. And he took a dog do snow cone and stuffed it in my other eye. And the husky wee wee, I mean the doggy wee wee, has blinded me temporarily. And oh Lord, I can't see. Well, here we have a deflected fur trapper, folks. Wandering around in the middle of the desolate northern wasteland. Can't tell where he's going. And he wants to get home in time to watch something good on TV. Well, he doesn't know it, but he's got a lot of time. But he, maybe there's something that he likes. He has to fix up his eyes before he can watch the television, so scratches underneath of his parka, tries to figure out what he's gonna do, and remembers an ancient Eskimo legend where it is it is written on the little things that they write it on whatever they are that if anything bad ever happens to your eyes as the result of physical combat with anybody named Nanook and if therefore he rubs some dog food crystals in your eye and you have problems it actually says this folks 
that the only way that you can fix it up is you gotta go trudging across the tundra, mile after mile, all the way down to the Columbia River Delta. It's really funky down there, I'm telling you. And he's gotta go down to find the parish of St. Alfonso. St. Alfonso is the patron saint of the smelt fishermen of Portuguese extraction. And he's got to bust into the pantry at St. Alfonso's parish, and he's got to locate a mysterious elixir disguised as a box of margarine. And his instructions are to rub it on his deflicted eyes until some sort of miraculous cure will take place. In the next episode, we follow the fur trapper as he trudges across the tundra direct to St. Alfonso's parish. And it goes something like this. Hoopla. Well, here we are. At St. Alfonso's pancake breakfast. Where I stole the margarine. And wheedled on the bingo cards in lieu of the latrine. I saw a handsome Paris lady Make her entrance like a queen Why she was totally chenille And her old man was a marine As she abused the sausage patty And said, why don't you treat me mean? The margarine. Yeah, I made it down to St. Alfonso's Parish, I did. Made it into the pantry down there. I finally discovered what I was looking for. I groped my way past the peas, and I groped my way past the asparagus, and I groped my way past the cauliflower. Groped my way, and I groped my way. I don't mind groping my way. And I groped my way in, I found the margarine. There it was, there was a little left over from the pancake breakfast. Reached in and pulled out a lump of the stuff. Then I rubbed it on my right hand eye. And I took it and I rubbed it on my left hand eye. Started feeling a little bit better and I contemplated on the mystery and the majesty of the margarine. I said to myself, the M, the M of margarine must, under these circumstances, symbolize marsupial. And the A, under these circumstances, must symbolize the constellation of Andromeda. And the R, under these circumstances, must constitute <laughs> Ridiculous, which is what these circumstances actually are. And then there's a hyphen, M-A-R. Don't lose the continuity, folks. There's a M-A-R hyphen. And as I said last night, and I'll say it again because I liked it, the first hyphen in margarine could be used for erotic gratification by a very desperate stenographer. M-A-R hyphen J. J. What, 
What's a J tonight? Uh, J is for Jesus, and we all know he loves you. <laughs> well, some of you people will go for that, some of you won't. What's the difference? So I throw it in there. Then there's a U. That U is for everybody who believes what the J stood for. And also, we have a subordinate U for the rest of you who go, huh? And then there's an H, which stands for, or used to, about two years ago, stand for homunculus. And then there's another hyphen, M-A-R, hyphen, J-U-H, hyphen. The second hyphen tonight, ladies and gentlemen, could be used. Could be used. <laughs> It could be used on you if you bent right over. And then, if you were very short, of course, and sensitive. M-A-R hyphen J-U-H hyphen R. There's another R. This R will stand for Rebus, which is a puzzle with pictures in it. Then there's an E, it's a very long, obnoxious E to the nth degree. And then there's an N, which is the end of the E with the nth degree. And then there's a tiny weeny dwindling off little E on the end of the thing. By the time I'd finished spelling margarine correctly, including two hyphens, my eyes felt a lot better and I was ready for the next part of the song. <laughs> Vivian Oblivion, resplendent in his frock, was whipping up the batter for the pancakes of his flock. He was looking rather bleary, he forgot to watch the clock, because the night before, behind the door, a leprechaun had stroked his smock, and that set him off in such a frenzy, he sang lock around the crop, and it topped it off with a woo-woo. Topped it off with a woo-woo. Topped it off with a woo-woo. As he stumbled on his cock. Oh Lord, he was delighted when it stiffened and it ripped right through his sock. Alfonso would be proud of me He shouted down the block And as soon as he did that A crowd of people gathered around All the faithful 
came right up to him. They wanted to look at the pink thing sticking out from the bottom of his tasteful, discreet, black nylon, man of the cloth type stocking. And there it was, and here it was, and he went, hey, hey. And they all went, and he calmed them with a gesture that he learned at an extension course in divinity school. He gave him one of these. And then he went. And he went. Gave him a few dominus of abiscums. They shut right up. Sat right there, very still. And then he looked them all in the eye. Every last one of them. He gazed at every one of them. And he looked them all in the eye. And he turned to them, each and every one, each in his each in his own words, each in his own way. And he turned to him and he said, <laughs>